0: Well, good morning West Ridge. Wow I got so much adrenaline going after that song. I'm too old for that. So we're in the second part of the second second message. Excuse me for a moment I'm not entirely sure why I'm up here. We're in the second (laughs) message of a four-part series. You're not sure why I'm doing either are you? That's not the first time. Uh, Entitled it's a brand new you and it's based on the thought that Prohibitions are not enough. Jesus calls us to a new life, an exciting life, a compelling life, an urgent life. Thou shalt not are not enough. And so this series is examining those qualities of a better life, a new life that we all want. Last week we talked about how to be attentive. And we said that Navy fighter pilots call it situational awareness. awareness. Very good, you did pay attention. So how was your awareness this week? Was it better? No. Okay. I'm really not interested in outcomes. We've got 20 minutes more to go, and uh, we'll have a good summer. I don't, know, uh, I don't know whether it's new or not, but the word spin has come to have a particular meaning in our vocabulary. Usually, it's used in a political context, And I think it refers to bending the truth, shaping the story to be most beneficial to the person doing the spinning. Now the important thing to spinners is not the truth, it's shading the message to what the listener hears. Would that be true of any politicians you've ever heard in your life today, in the state of Illinois, alone? But I suspect they're not the only ones spinning. I'm guessing there are plenty of amateur spinners out there too. And I'm guessing that there are some church spinners, right? People pretending to be always happy, always moral, trouble-free, People, people whose only thought in life is, what would Jesus do 24-7, 365? Always humming a praise chorus. Always ready to help someone in need. Chirpy, cheerful, chippy. And I'm not even sure what chippy means, but it just seemed like it fit there for me when i was a full-time pastor i was always reluctant to tell people that i was a pastor not because i was ashamed but because it changed people's behavior around me all of a sudden things got artificial i remember one time i was playing golf and i got paired up with a stranger we played a few holes and he's swearing at every bad shot he hit About the fifth T, he asked me what I did, and I said, well, I'm a pastor at so-and-so church down the street. By the seventh T, he was singing Amazing Grace while we waited for the foursome in front of us to move on. Now, all this stands in stark contrast to integrity. Integrity is about holding our lives together so that we are the same person inside and out, ...backward and forward. Integrity goes beyond... ...simply being honest... ...or telling the truth. It's living a transparent... ...life. Now time out for a moment. Let me tell you what a transparent life is not... ...before we go on. It's not spilling your guts... ...to everyone you meet. That's what counselors... ...and confidants... ...and for that matter spouses... ...are for. Okay... Time out The transparent life is owning our own stories, not pretending to be someone else, not spinning your story to be smarter than you are, dumber than you are, richer than you are, poorer than you are, better than you are, worse than you are. Integrity is owning the story God has given us to write. Transparency is the release of all the masks we're tempted to wear. It's not having one mask for one occasion and another mask for another occasion. It's being comfortable living inside the skin God has given us. It's the end of pretense for ego's sake. A woman brought her son to Gandhi because he was eating too much sugar. And despite her vigilance, the boy could not seem to give up sugar. And the woman asked Gandhi if she would speak with the boy about this problem. And Gandhi replied, no, but bring him back in a week. In a week, the woman returned again, petitioned Gandhi to speak to her son about his habit of eating too much sugar. So Gandhi welcomed the boy and had a discussion with him about giving up sugar. The boy seemed affected by Gandhi's advice, and the woman thanked him deeply. As she turned to leave, she asked him one final question. Why did you see him today and not last week? Gandhi responded, Because last week I was eating too much sugar. (laughs) You can't lead someone where you've not been. Living a life of integrity, let's be honest, it's harder than it sounds. And let's be even more honest, even godly people struggle. Perhaps one of the most poignant examples of integrity is found in the biblical account of King David. Now, I know we've talked about David here at Westridge before, so I'm not going to do a whole biography, but I just want to sort of use his life story to frame up this conversation today. There were so many chapters to David's life. There is the shepherd boy who had enough faith in God to slay Goliath. There is the warrior who led his army in battle, there is the faithful friend to Jonathan. There is the respectful servant to, uh, to King Saul, even though he didn't deserve it. There is the sacrificial giver who raised the money for the temple. And and yeah. there is the lying, murdering, adulterous David. Here's how the Bible describes it. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And then David sent his messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he slept with her. So that's one thing, but, but later, David arranged to have her husband Uriah killed. He must have been a little bit of Italian. And he thought he could go on with his life. He thought it would not make a difference if he was one person in private and another person in public. And so God has to send the prophet Nathan to confront David and point out what David had denied. And that is that he had become someone he didn't want to admit to himself. God used Nathan to show David a part of his story that he didn't want to see. Now, to his credit, David received Nathan's rebuke and changed his ways. But in the process, parts of his life spun into chaos. The most immediate consequence was the death of the son born of this adulterous affair. How much better to own our own stories from the beginning? Like David, we own our stories a chapter at a time. So let's walk through some of the chapters of our stories. Here's the first one. We own the hand we've been dealt. We're not created equal. We are loved equally by God. But the hand we've been dealt has to do with those things in our life over which we had no control. And those aren't the same for everyone. Integrity begins with owning the hand we've been dealt. And just like in a card game, not everyone is dealt the same hand. Integrity is accepting the hand we've been dealt and making the best of it. You know, I I had nothing to do with the country in which I was born the specific time in history in which I was born, to whom I was born, the language I was taught growing up, the socioeconomic conditions in which I was raised, the physical health or lack thereof when I was born, the educational opportunities afforded me in early childhood. I had nothing to do with that. That was the hand I was dealt. For example, I was born with allergies and asthma. And I lived on a dirt road in front of a hay field with a dad who chain-smoked. And when they finally did take me to the doctor, he blew smoke in my face in the exam room. Now, you know how it goes. You don't know what you don't know. I just grew up figuring everyone has a hard time breathing. I would have swapped that out if I could, but that's part of my story. You've got your own story about the hand you've been dealt. Let me just comment on one we've all got in common. To begin with, we were dealt our parents. Now, you can pretend they were perfect and perpetuate the cover-up. Or you can smolder in an anger that won't go away. Or you can simply own the hand you've been dealt. We were stuck with whomever we got. And there's nothing to do but get on with our stories. And whether your childhood was a gift or a nightmare, all you can do today is own it. And forgive when and where it's necessary. Our parents are the only parents God will ever give us, and the raw material we got from them is the only grist we will have for grinding out our stories. Chapter number two Owning our wounds. King David, he certainly had his wounds. He was hunted down like a fugitive in the early part of his career. His best friend, Jonathan, ended up being killed. And I'm guessing somewhere, sometime in our stories, we're bound to get hurt. The odds are pain will grab us in its claws, pin us down, tear at our flesh, pierce our hearts. Whether it's a loss or a betrayal that caused our wound... Most of us are wounded, forever wounded. And to disown our wounds is to be untrue to ourselves. C.S. Lewis writes in A Grief Observed about the death of his wife. He says, I shall walk again, but I shall never be biped. A bit less intellectual but relevant, Don Draper says in an early episode of Mad Men, Nostalgia is the pain from an old wound. We can't move on from a suffering chapter of our story without carrying the wounds with us into the next chapter. The pain of one chapter becomes the scar of the next. Forgiveness doesn't take away the scar. We own our wounds so that we can better help other hurting people overcome theirs. Chapter number three. We own our dark side. Here's David, a man after God's own heart. Someone who had a pure devotion to God. Someone who could step out with great faith and generosity. Someone who who could also commit adultery and murder. Now, if we're going to write an honest story we've got to factor in the dark side in any inventory of our life. Good people are always a mix of faith and fear, of good and bad, of virtue and vice. I've got mine. You've got yours. I would prefer to talk about yours. I'm always a little frightened by church spinner types who pretend to never have struggled with their dark side or, or propose that they've overcome it completely. If a man like David struggled with his dark side, I'm a little skeptical if you don't. So let's not pretend to be the exception when we own our story, when we own our dark side. Confess it when appropriate. We free ourselves from the energy drain of trying to be someone we're not. you realize how tiring that is? ...the psychic energy that gets burned off. And we disarm the dark side by bringing it out into the light. The final chapter is we own our commitments. We start new chapters of our story by making significant commitments. We are, in fact, the sum total of our commitments. And if we don't have the courage to own our commitments and the courage to make new commitments, then our story loses its narrative and we begin to drift. And we eventually lose touch with who we are. So maybe today, you've commitments that you made that you're no longer owning. Maybe it was a commitment to your spouse, your children, your financial stewardship, your job, your church, your friends. I don't know what it is. But I know you need to get back to those commitments. And you need to own them. You've made commitments. And keeping them is what creates integrity. Maybe there are some new commitments you need to make. You need to start a new chapter in your story. Maybe you need to make a commitment. (laughs) For a brand new you. Having a story to write is why you were born. Own your story and dedicate it to the glory of God. I believe that which ultimately made David such a role model was that he never gave up on the fact that God never gave up on him. You can lose everything else in your story, but don't lose that. You can give up on yourself. Other people can give up on you, but don't lose ...touch with the fact that God never gives up on you. No matter where you've been... ...no matter what you've done... ...He never gives up on you. You may look in the mirror and not recognize that person. God never gives up on you. Psalm 51 was written... ...after Nathan confronted David... ...about his adultery and murder. And David writes this. You get the context? He says, soak me in your laundry and I'll come out clean. Scrub me, and I'll have a snow-white life. I love this phrase. Tune me in to foot-tapping songs. Set these once-broken bones to dancing. I want to dance. I don't want to go through life with prohibitions and thou shalt not. I want to dance. Don't look too close for blemishes. Give me a clean bill of health. God, make a fresh start in me. David's saying, it's a brand-new me shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life I talked to uh, to a retired pastor this week uh, at a convention in Orlando and he said to me you know decades ago I started a church just outside Las Vegas and it grew and we were reaching all kinds of people And then one day the board called me in and said, you're bringing in too much transient trash into this church. You're fired. Talk about a bunch of church spinners. The morality of the best of us is no more than transient trash in God's eyes. He told the story in such a way that it was clear he was owning it. That was part of his story. It was nostalgic. It was the pain from an old wound. The anger was gone. And he was glad for the Genesis week God brought out of the chaos because he knew that I knew that today that's the largest church in the Las Vegas Valley with almost 20,000 members reaching transient trash just like you and me. Maybe you're tired of spinning your life story. Maybe it's time to come clean and admit the uglier parts. Maybe it's time to own up to who you are and where you've been. Maybe it's time to clear up some things with God today and maybe some others. Maybe. Maybe it's time for a brand new you. Here's how you can start. Ask God to create a Genesis week out of the chaos of your life.